0: wrong biblical character, Andrew, not Matthew, this morning. And we're gonna be in Mark, so we're just gonna cover all the all the biblical names. Good morning. So I am Andrew, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm one of the elders here. And um I was supposed to preach this message like a month ago, but my little girl decided to make her appearance three and a half weeks early and this is her first her first Sunday at church, so she's sitting back there being being quiet for now. We'll see if that lasts but it, uh, seriously, it's, uh, I'm excited that she's going to get to grow up in this family, and I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid a Matthew moment, I'm not going to say anything else about that right now, but I am excited about that. Um, so this morning, we are going to continue our series in Mark, that we've been in for quite some time now, and we are going to talk about something called legalism, and you're probably familiar with that term if you've been around the church much. But we're going to see. I think there's a lot of different definitions of legalism out there. But we're going to see what Jesus' definition of, of legalism is and why we should avoid it. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you about it this morning. It is a tough topic, just because you know it's something that usually, at least for me, when I read about legalism, I see some stuff in myself that I don't that I don't like that God probably doesn't like. So it can be tough to see those things and to to be honest with ourselves, but that's, that's the point. That's what we're supposed to do. So, um, yeah, we're going to see what it actually looks like. And in this passage, uh, we see this a lot in when, we, when we read about Jesus and kind of how he taught his ways of teaching. But we're going to see the Pharisees accuse Jesus. We're going to see Jesus respond to the Pharisees. And then we're going to see Jesus teach his disciples kind of about what just happened. And so that's kind of, we see that a lot in the Bible. We see that sort of pattern, you know, Jesus... Uh, someone accuses Jesus, he responds, and then he uses that as a teaching moment. And so we're going to read about that, uh, and we're going to see how it relates to us in our lives today. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll get started. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much for uh, this Sunday, Lord, and we just thank you for the freedom to worship you, um, Lord, and we just thank you for who you are, and uh, that we don't have to do this alone, Lord, That that you're with us. And so this morning, God, I just pray that... Um, we would learn something from your word, Lord, that we would become more like you um, And that we would just soak in your teaching, God That we would hear the words um, of Jesus, Lord, and that we would apply them to our lives In Christ's name I pray, amen So we're in Mark chapter 7, and we're picking up right where we ended uh, we, The last few verses uh, in Mark chapter 6 we talked about in our community group uh, worship Sunday and we're going to pick up in Mark 7, verse 1. Uh, and it says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from, Jer- from Jerusalem gathered around him, and they observed that some of his disciples were eating their bread without, with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees, in fact, all the Jews would not eat unless they washed their hands ritually, keeping the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep like washing of cups, jugs, copper utensils, and dining couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ritually unclean hands? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. "'Disregarding the command of God, you keep the tradition of men,' he also said to them. "'You completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your tradition. "'For Moses said, "'Honor your father and your mother, "'and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. "'But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, "'Whatever, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corbin, "'that is a gift committed to the temple. "'You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother.' You revoke God's word by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. And when he went into the house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you also lacking in understanding Don't you realize that nothing going into a man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. And as a result, he made all foods clean. And then he said, what comes out of a person, that defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil accusations, deceit, lewdness, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. So, this is kind of a lot, it's a lot of verses, but again, we see that pattern of Jesus being confronted, responding, and then using that as a teaching moment. Um, And so, just kind of starting off, Mark sets the scene that the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had had come from Jerusalem, and, you know, Jesus was a threat to the people and to the, the Jewish religious leaders. They, he was saying crazy things, and they really liked their power and their control, and so... They're like, who is this guy speaking with authority saying these crazy things that go against all of our customs and traditions? And so they kind of, I kind of think of, they sent like a cohort to go and find Jesus and just investigate him and try to catch him doing something wrong. Um, And Jerusalem kind of, we see in the Bible that Jerusalem is kind of the center of opposition to Jesus. If you think of, I was just trying to think of an example of this, and this is probably really dumb, but the Hunger Games is like the capital, and the Hunger Games is kind of the center of opposition. If you've ever seen those movies or read those books, that's kind of the center of opposition for the people who live in all the districts. But for Jesus, Jerusalem was kind of the, the center of religious activity for Jews, and that's where you know the Pharisees and scribes were, who came to investigate Jesus, and uh, they were looking for that gotcha moment. They were just going to kind of go and see what Jesus was doing, and, and kind of look for that gotcha moment, and this just kind of hit me right off. I'm guilty of this sometimes. You know, there's people who, I don't, who might be believers, and I might not really like them, and I'm like, watch what they do, just kind of look for that gotcha moment. And uh, that just hit me, like, right off. So I'm confessing that, and I, I know that we do that sometimes, and we shouldn't do that. We'll talk about it more. Um, so, so the Pharisees and scribes, are, they make this accusi- accusation against Jesus, and the accusation is, why don't you wash your hands before you eat? And this wasn't a hygiene issue, it wasn't, oh man, your hands are dirty, you're going to get sick if you don't, don't wash them. This was, a, this was an issue of kind of like ceremonial law or ceremonial rules that they were trying to, to get Jesus in. But the Old Testament law only says that priests have to wash their hands before they, before they offer a sacrifice. It doesn't say that you know, everyone has to wash their hands before they eat, it says that priests have to wash their hands before they offer a sacrifice. So Jesus wasn't breaking any Old Testament, and his disciples, they weren't breaking any Old Testament law here, uh, but the Pharisees had these oral traditions, the traditions of the elders, and they would kind of put a fence around the law, kind of think of it like um, sometimes We see this in the Bible, like, there are gray areas sometimes that we kind of wonder, what should we do? Well, the tradition of the elders were these traditions that were kind of built around the Old Testament law that made sure no one broke them, essentially. And so, this hand-washing rule was kind of a stretch. So, you know, the priests were supposed to wash their hands before they offered a sacrifice, and then also it's true uh, in the Old Testament law that we're called to be holy. And so the Pharisees and scribes, they took these two things that, you know, priests are supposed to wash their hands before they offer a sacrifice. Everyone's called to be holy. And they said, you know what? Everyone needs to wash their hands before they eat just to make sure that they're clean. Um, and then they even took it, we see kind of in this passage that it says not only did, what in the tradition did they wash their hands, but they washed uh, cups, jugs, copper utensils, dining, dining couches, and that's kind of the things that they would sit on to eat. So they took this, this law of priest wash your hands before offering a sacrifice and stretched it all the way to the point of everyone should wash their dining utensils and, you know, their dining couches. This is the danger of legalism. When we take God's commands and we just we make them so much bigger and make them so much more encompassing than they actually are, we lose the actual heart of the law and the rule itself. And that's what the Pharisees were doing here. And this is sin. That's when we elevate our own ideas and our own traditions over God's. Um, and that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And this its legalism. And I was trying to think of a good example or illustration of legalism, and there's no better one than, than the one Zach gave us um, a couple months ago when he was talking about legalism. And I told Zach I was going to use it this morning just because, honestly, it, this is a compliment of Zach, but it may be, may be the best sermon illustration I've ever heard. I really, I mean, it just it's perfect for legalism so I may have some of the details wrong so Zach you can correct me later but um, Zach was talking about how when he was a kid uh, there was this rule in his house that his parents set that you're not allowed to go into the road when you're playing outside so you know obviously you don't want to get hit by a car that seems like a very you know for a kid that seems like a very reasonable rule right don't go in the road so you don't get hit by a car well Zach's rules were when Zach was in charge, he did not let his siblings or friends go out of the house at all because if they went out of the house into the yard, they may end up in the road. And this is a perfect example of legalism because the rule that Zach's parents set was not that you can't go outside. The rule was that you can't go into the road, but Zach set these fences up that were well, uh, pretty far distance from, from from the actual rule. And that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing in this oral tradition. They are taking a command or a rule and they are making it and stretching it to be much more all-encompassing than it actually is. And when we do this, we so often, um, man, we so often lose the heart of the rule itself or of the command itself. And we so easily become fixated on our rules and making sure we're doing something the right way. Um, So Jesus responds to this. Jesus has been accused, and then he responds. And, um, man, I have been, I feel like I've been on the receiving end of communication like this, but it's a a tough one. Jesus just kind of, he comes straight at the Pharisees, and he says in verse 6, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching his doctrines the commands of men. Disregarding the command of God, you keep the tradition of men," he said to them. "You completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your tradition." Man, the Pharisees are supposed to be experts in the law. I mean, that's that's what they're known for. They're supposed to be out of everyone uh, in existence. They were supposed to be the ones that knew God's law better than anybody else. That's what they are. They're experts in the law. It's almost like um, attorneys, you know, in today's our, our laws, the, the laws of our country are not from God necessarily, but lawyers are people who go to school and they study and they learn the laws of our country so that they can advocate for people and make sure that justice is served, so make sure that those laws are enforced. The Pharisees are supposed to be kind of like that. They're supposed to be the law, you know, the ones who knew the Jewish law better than anybody else. And Jesus tells them, you're teaching as doctrines the commandment of men, not the commandments of God. And, and he says to them, uh, you know, in verse, in verse 9, he says, you're supposed to be experts at keeping the law and teaching the law, but you're actually being experts at breaking the law. You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. Man. You can, you can kind of hear the, um, the almost the attitude behind that. Like, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. Um, and that's scary. I mean, that's a scary thing. The Pharisees were trying, and they thought that they were keeping God's law and practicing God's law, but they were invalidating God's command in order to set up their own tradition. And then Jesus gives an example, and it, it can be kind of confusing in this passage. Uh, starting in verse, um, in verse 10, he, he says, The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. We all know the Ten Commandments. That's the fifth commandment. Um, but Jesus says, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corbin. That is a gift committed to the temple. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You revoke God's word by your tradition that you have handed down. So we know the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, which means you're supposed to honor your father and your mother. And so in this day and age, you know, when a parent would get old, Uh, the the children were supposed to take care of their parents, just like we should do now. We should take care of our family members. And so the Pharisees had kind of found this loophole where it's also true that we should keep our vows, right? Like when we say we're going to do something, we should keep that. And so they found this loophole that, you know what, when my parents get old, you know, I really don't want to give them my possessions. I really don't want to help them and use my resources. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to vow to commit my resources to the temple and to give my resources to God. And so then when the time came for them to use those resources to help their parents, they said, well, I can't break this vow that I made to God, so I can't use those resources to help my parents. See, this was a loophole that they had kind of found in the law, and the the Pharisees taught this and said that it was okay. But see, that's actually selfish. When we see the heart, the heart of of these laws, we know that God's heart is for us to care for others, not to commit our things to him so that we don't have to be selfless and sacrificial and loving other people. Um, this is, and Jesus said, this is just one of the many things that you do. So this this must have been something that was pretty common in this in this time period, and so that's why he used it as an example. But he said, this is only one of the things that you do in this way, uh, where you find loopholes and you apply the laws in ways that benefit yourself, and they don't actually get to the heart of what how why they were they were put there in the first place. Um, so you know, Jesus is really taking it taking it to to the Pharisees here. And he's saying that you're being selfish, and, and you are, you're actually, instead of keeping the law, you're actually breaking the law. And it's just one example of legalism when we elevate a loophole or tradition over God's word. Um, and this is, this is kind of what Jesus is calling out here. And then, so Jesus was accused, he responded, we see his response, and then we see after that, it's his teaching moment, where he kind of goes away from that situation And it says here that he, in verse 14, that he went to the crowds first. A lot of times we see him just talk directly to his disciples after these moments. But in this instance, Jesus addressed the crowd first, and then he went and addressed his group of disciples. Uh, And we see that starting in verse 14. He summoned the crowd and he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. So it's not washing our hands doesn't make us clean. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. You know, these, out, these outside acts, such as washing your hands, that doesn't, that's not what makes you clean. It's what comes out of you. Uh, and then he, then after that, he pulls his disciples in, uh, and he, and he kind of expounds a little bit more. And we see this, you know, Jesus very often kind of, he's a little rough. Not in a loving way, he's a little rough on his disciples. Don't you understand? know, yeah. come on, guys. Don't you understand? You've seen all these things I've done. Am I really having to explain this to you again? Uh, he says, don't you realize that nothing going into a man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. And as a result, he made all foods clean. Then he said, I like this part because in my Bible, I don't know if your Bible has the red letters you know when jesus is talking but mine does and this little section as a result he made all foods clean is in black Uh, i think mark must have really liked barbecue because he's like you know what we got to make sure we hit this point here you know jesus is saying that that what goes into us doesn't defile us but mark had to make sure he pointed that out because the jewish you know obviously there were food and dietary uh, laws for for jewish people and Jesus is kind of in this teaching saying that it's not what goes into us that defiles us, so it doesn't matter what we eat. That's not what makes us clean. But Mark had to make sure and point that out, that he made all foods clean. So Mark must have really liked barbecue. Um, and then he says, What comes out of a person is what out- comes out of a person that defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries. Greed, evil accusations, deceit, lewdness, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. So he kind of gives a list of things, right? Uh, But the first thing in that list is evil thoughts. And I think that everything after that can fall into that category of evil thought. Uh, We were just kind of talking about this at the men's retreat uh, last weekend. But, you know, what we let into our mind does can defile us it can make us think bad things it can make us do bad things um and so not what we eat but the things that go into our mind that, that then go down into our heart um and so i'm going to read a few verses to you they're not going to be on the screen Whew. um so proverbs 4:23 says above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Philippians 4:8 Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. Man, that's a it's a list, you know. This is convicting, but Think about, use that list as sort of a litmus test of things that we consume. You know, what we watch on television, what we listen to, the things that we expose ourselves to. Uh, True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Man, I'm convicted when I read that list and think about the things that I consume sometimes. Um, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the soul and spirit joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Man, when we're in God's word, those things that we consume are going to come out, and it's going to be, if it's not good, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be brought to light. Uh, and if it is good, it can be brought to light. But the things on the outside don't matter. The way we dress, the way we, um, you know, just the, the, sometimes the face we put on that's not really accurate, doesn't really accurately depict who we are, those external things don't matter. It's the things of the heart that matter, and that's what God looks at when he sees us. He looks at our heart. And so what goes into our mind very often goes down into our heart, and so that's why I'm saying that. So this passage is on legalism. So my goal is not to give you a list of things not to do or whatever that aren't in the Bible. Um, But, you know, there's this, um, I'll talk about this more in a second, but there are, we have legalism on one hand, and we have liberty on the other hand. And sometimes it's easy for us to go in one direction or the other. Legalism is following, you know, trying to follow rules or elevating tradition over God's word. Liberty is saying, you know what? Jesus covered all my sins. I can do whatever I want. Uh, neither one of those things are truly what the gospel is. The gospel is right in the middle of those things. And so we'll talk about that in a second. But all that to say, we should really, really pay attention to what's going into our mind. Because what, what goes into our mind very often goes down into our heart and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, but we have to be careful of what we consume, especially in this day and age when we are in, like, overconsumption all the time. We're always uh, entertaining ourselves with something. We have cell phones that are in our hands all the time. We can see anything on the Internet. We can listen to podcasts. We can listen to co- stuff in the car. Like, life is complex. It's a lot more complex now than it probably ever has been just because of all the technology we have at our hands, and technology can be good, But also, we know that technology can be very bad. So we have to be very careful, and we have to put guardrails around that. So based on this passage, a really smart guy named David Platt, you probably heard of him. He kind of came up with these five dangers of empty religion that we see from the Pharisees and the scribes in this passage. And I think all these five things are very applicable to us, so we're going to talk about them. The first is that the Pharisees... Elevated their thoughts and traditions above God's word. Jesus said that himself. He told them that. They elevated their thoughts and traditions above God's word. Man, how often do we do this? Um, the original sin in the garden, Adam and Eve, right? God said, hey, here's this garden. It has everything you need. It's beautiful. But there's this one tree. Just don't eat from this tree, but you can eat from any other tree in this garden. And Adam and Eve thought they knew better than God, and they took that, that fruit, and they ate it, and sin entered the world. The first sin. We do it all the time. We elevate our thoughts and traditions above God's word. Um, and see, the thing is, we have to know God's word in order to, to know what his word says and to know what his word actually is. And so that's why it's so important that we spend time in God's word and we get to know what God's word actually says and the actual heart of God and the heart of who he wants us to be. And then we're gonna be able to know, is this God's word or is this a tradition or a man-made rule? Um, or is this just my opinion or my preference? Because those things are very different. Our opinion and preference and God's word oftentimes are not the same. Um, but here's the thing, not all traditions are bad. We, we do traditions here at Origins, like today's communion. We do communion once a month. The Bible doesn't say, you shall have communion once a month in your church. It doesn't say that. The, it does say that we should practice communion as believers, but it doesn't spell out the exact specifics of how often we should do it. But you know what, if, if I got up here or Matthew got up here this morning and said, you know what, it's the right thing to do is to have communion once a month, and this church over here, they don't do it, and they're wrong about that. They're wrong that they don't do communion once a month. That's legalism. But saying, you know what, we're going to, we're going to put these traditions in place so that we make sure that we are doing what God's word says we should do, but we don't elevate that tradition above God's word. We don't make that a primary Thing that you know god 's word doesn 't spell that out that 's just one example um, the Bible doesn 't prescribe that exact rhythm, but it does say that we should do it. Uh, traditions are okay, but when we elevate them to a level that 's equal or greater than god's word that 's when we get in trouble. when we elevate our traditions to a level equal or greater than god 's word. I grew up uh, going to for part of my childhood a very very legalistic church okay and in this church um, a lot of things that weren't primary issues were elevated to be primary issues. I'll give you an example, like um, King James Bible only. Like, we had to use the King James Bible. So obviously nowhere in God's Word does it say you have to use the King James Bible, but like, that was a primary issue to them. And any church or anybody who didn't use that Bible was wrong, and they, were, they, didn't actually, they weren't reading God's you know, Word truly. Another example in that church was like, women. I had to wear dresses and skirts all the time. This is a perfect example of legalism. Yes, the Bible says we should be modest, but it doesn't say women should all wear skirts to their ankles. Like that, the Bible does not prescribe that specifically, but that was elevated to a primary issue in that church to where if a woman came in there and wasn't wearing a skirt, like she was wrong and she was in sin. And so that's where we get in trouble is, yes, we should, be mod- we should dress modestly, but when we elevate our thoughts or opinions on what modesty is to a primary issue where we basically are judging anyone who doesn't follow, in, doesn't follow our thoughts on that, that is legalism. And so I grew up, I grew up in, that, in that environment. Um, I've, I've told this story a few times because it's my favorite story of Spurgeon. So many of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor, a preacher back uh, so, a long time ago in, in London, and he was, um, he's kind of the, one of the most well-known preachers that, that, that has ever lived. And so if you know anything about Spurgeon, you know that he, Spurgeon enjoyed smoking. He enjoyed his, his cigar and pipe. And so uh, one Sunday, he had a guest speaker in his church and a guest preacher. And this preacher didn't know Spurgeon very well. He didn't know that Spurgeon smoked. And so he got up uh, to, to preach, and he preached his entire sermon on, against smoking because smoking was becoming very prevalent at that time. I mean, he just he got up there, and he just bashed smoking about how wrong it is and how it's a sin and all this kind of stuff. Obviously... The Bible does not say that smoking is a sin. Now, we should take care of our bodies and we should be smart, and that is in the Bible, but it doesn't say specifically that smoking is a sin. And so Spurgeon got up, and, you know, the, the preacher preached, and then Spurgeon came up at the end um, to kind of just give his uh, conclusion to the day. And he said, uh, Spurgeon's quote was, I don't have it exact, but he said, there are ten commandments in the Bible, and I find those ten commandments very, very challenging to keep, and I don't intend to make it eleven. So, you know, uh, that's always kind of resonated with me is that sometimes we often try to elevate these rules or ideas. You know, probably shouldn't smoke 15 cigarettes a day. Probably not good for your body. You know, probably not, you know, making your body a temple and all that kind of stuff. Not a good idea. But, you know, if someone likes to enjoy a cigar every now and then, probably not a sin either. So that's the whole thing is we have to, we have to find that balance. We, have to, we cannot elevate our own opinions and thoughts above God's word. Um, The second thing, the second danger of empty empty religion uh, that we see here is that they perform religious activity for themselves apart from affection for God. They perform religious activity for themselves apart from affection for God. Man, that's scary. That's a scary thought. Uh, You know, in our culture here, I think things are changing a little bit, but there can be some social benefit to being a Christian. You know, like you might get friends or someone might look at you and say, oh man, that's a good person or whatever. And so when we perform religious activities for those kinds of reasons, we're doing it for ourselves and not for God's affection. Um, When we fixate on rules, we lose the heart of God. We should, if we perform religious activities, whatever that looks like or means, it should be because we love God and we want to honor Him and we want to serve Him, not because we want to elevate ourselves or make ourselves look good. Um, Man, we shouldn't do it for status or acceptance or money or anything like that. We should come to church or worship God or participate in communion or any of those traditions that we do because we love God and we want to worship Him. Not because we want. Not because man, I want to see Neil. I want Neil to like me and think I'm a good person. You know, not not for those reasons. You know, and when we when we do put on these performances, others can see it, and they know it's not real, uh, and, and it's a bad thing. And this can be hard sometimes, too, for rule followers. Uh, I'm not a rule follower, but my wife is very much a rule follower. Uh, and so I was joking with her the other day. You know, obviously she had our baby girl, and the doctor told her, not, don't drive for two weeks. It's just some kind of rule that they give you at the hospital. And so Lexi was very clearly okay to drive, like, a week later. And she's like, she had to do something. And she's like, no, you have to drive. I can't go there. I'm like, baby, like, you're fine. You can drive. She's like, I'm not driving for two weeks, you know. She is a rule follower, that's her, that's her to a T. I am not a rule follower, I'm, you know, and that can be bad on the other hand as well. I oftentimes look to break rules but for rule followers it can be hard to not be legalistic sometimes just because it's easy to follow a checklist and we want to do those things to make sure we're on the right track and that's okay but we have to see the heart of the rule and the intent behind the rule uh, in order to really be able to, to follow it well. Um, the third The third danger of empty religion is that we see in this passage is that they saw uncleanness in others that they refused to see in themselves, and this is to me this is the scariest one because I know I'm so guilty of this. They saw uncleanness in others that they refused to see in themselves man you you may have heard Jesus' uh parable about the speck in the log you know that so oftentimes we want to remove the speck from someone else's eye when we have a log in our own eye um, that's hypocrisy, you know. The, the, the Pharisees and scribes are practicing that here. They, they were trying to get Jesus on hand washing when their hearts were unclean and they were out to get Jesus. They, they didn't have pure hearts. Uh, we also see this oftentimes when we elevate certain types of sin. You know, some sins are, we think that some sins are worse than others but sin is sin and so we might say man that person is doing this that or the other when we know we have sin in our own life and we're judging that person but we're not looking at our own hearts. That is, a, that is empty religion and Man, pride is the most sneaky sin, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were being prideful. And, you know, I've been in lots of small groups and accountability groups and all kinds of stuff, and very rarely do I hear someone say, guys, I just need to confess that I've been prideful. You know, it's hard. Pride pride is something, because we're prideful, we don't see it in ourselves, but we see it in other people. And pride leads to all kinds of other sins. It really does. And so, man... When we're practicing empty religion, we become prideful, and we think that we know everything, we, we're doing it the right way, and everyone else is doing it the wrong way, uh, and we just completely miss the heart of God when we, when we do that. Okay, it's, the fourth thing is this. They ultimately thought they could make themselves clean. They ultimately thought that they could make themselves clean. We see in the Jewish law, there's all kinds of examples. The hand washing, we see uh, you know, that you're not allowed to touch someone who has leprosy or you're not allowed to you know touch someone who's not jewish all these things to keep themselves clean on the outside ultimately the pharisees thought they could make themselves clean and that, that's the ultimate sin because you know what when we think we can do it on our own we don't need jesus at that point because we can do it ourselves we can make ourselves clean and that's the biggest lie that anyone could ever ever tell you it is not possible apart from jesus to be good enough it's not no matter how hard you try no matter how many good things you do you cannot be good enough apart from Jesus. You can't. I can't. None of us can. We cannot be good enough. We have to trust in Jesus to, to make us clean. We have to trust in Jesus to make us clean. So I talked uh, earlier about legalism and license. And I've heard it said before, Jesus was crucified between legalism and license. So, you know, those are the two, these are the two things, you know, trying to make ourselves clean or having this ultimate liberty where we can do whatever we want, it doesn't matter. The gospel stands right between those two things. Um, there's, a, there's a guy named Jared Wilson, he's a really smart guy he, he has this quote, he said legalism and license have the same root idol they are both efforts and self-exaltation and the gospel of Jesus is the an- antidote to both they both have the same root idol self-exaltation, whenever we think we can be good enough that's prideful, we think man I can do whatever I can be good enough, I can be clean enough to be, to, to be, to be holy to be pure that's pride, on the other hand I can do whatever I want because Jesus covered it all. I can do whatever I want. That, the motive behind that is I want to satisfy my flesh. I want to do things that make, you know, make me feel good or make me happy. That's also an effort and self-exaltation. But the gospel of Jesus is the antidote to both of those things. The gospel says you can't be good enough, but here's a way. Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, bore the weight of the sins that we could never, ever carry that weight ourselves, So that we, when God sees us, he can see Jesus' righteousness. That's the gospel. And yes, we should be holy when we follow Jesus. We should strive to be like him and to follow his commands. And we're going to fail, yes, but there's grace. That's the gospel. And the fifth thing is that we are them. And that's the scary thing. We are so often the Pharisees. We so easily revert to rules or pride or license. Uh, we, We oftentimes fall on one side or the other. But every time, as a believer, we know that the gospel is right there in the middle, and we desperately need Jesus to change our hearts. We cannot do it on our own. Um, Ezekiel 36, it's going to be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. This is God. He says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put away a new spirit, and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You see, the common, uh, the common denominator here is I will sprinkle you clean. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will remove your heart of stone. I will place my spirit within you. God does all the work. God does all the work. We don't have to do any of that. We don't have to do any of that. See, when we put our faith in Christ we're a new creation the old is past jesus does the work so i want you to think about this has this happened to you has jesus cleansed you and made you a new person because when you take that yoke when you take jesus yoke it's easy and the burden's light the pressure is no longer on us to try to be perfect the pressure is no longer on us to try to make ourselves clean to try to wash our hands enough times to try to clean our kettles and pots and try to try to be try to be clean that is pure religion whenever we put our faith in Jesus and let him make us clean not whenever we try to make ourselves clean but whenever we put our faith in Jesus that is pure religion so let's uh, let's not become Pharisees let's think about our areas in our lives where we're elevating our own traditions and our own thoughts above Jesus above Jesus's heart and that's hard to do because our pride gets in the way it's really hard to do Um, but you know You can ask your spouse. They might give you an honest answer. You know, what's an area in my life where I'm putting my own opinion over God's? That might be a good place to start. It might not be a fun conversation for you, but you can ask uh, people in this church, people that you're in community with, let it be a conversation piece, and that it requires vulnerability to ask those questions. And you know what? Not being vulnerable is a prideful thing, because we don't want people to see the messiness and the brokenness that we have in our own lives. So be vulnerable this week ask people to to call out these areas in your life think about what are ways in your life that you're putting your own ideas and thoughts above god's or traditions above god's word and read the bible study his word because we have to know his word to be able to identify those areas so that's my challenge to me that's my challenge to you this week and uh yeah let's pray uh lord thank you so much for today thank you so much for your word and your heart father that you love us lord enough to make us clean lord enough to that you're our righteousness god we know that we can never ever be clean enough or good enough on our own lord we need you we desperately desperately need you lord and we're so thankful that you made a way for us and so lord i just pray that as you go throughout our weeks that we would put our faith in you lord we'd put our trust in you lord that we would not try to do it on our own father but that we would truly truly seek your heart in everything we do christ's name i pray amen
1: Man, Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, man. Glad your baby was born. Glad you're able to be here and, and take care of that. Um, we are going to worship and, and have a time of communion. Don't, don't look at your watch like I did. It's not a big deal. Um, and then we have a statement we want to make at the end, too, about some stuff that's been going on around the country this week and within the, the Baptist world, and we want you guys to kind of know where we stand on a lot of that, too. Uh, and just full transparency, let some, let some things be out there. Uh, but communion for us, um, man, this is just a time for us as family just to say, hey, we're together, and not only are we together, but we're together in remembering that, that Christ died for our sins. And through his life, his death, his resurrection, uh, and his very words, he offers us a chance at hope. And so when we take communion, all of us are saying, yes, we agree with that together, but we're also saying that, that right now our life, um, we, there's no sin that's just encamped and just sitting there. And so those are the two stipulations that we take communion. Yes, we are uh, committed and confessed followers of Jesus, but also we don't have sin that's just sitting there taking root. And so maybe before you get up during the song and take communion, if there's sin in your life that's just sitting there, 1 John 1-9 just tells us to confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness to bring back what we've lost, which is just kind of broken relationship, not eternally but circumstantially, and so restoration is there. So maybe you need to do that. Um, And just we just walk up, we grab the bread, You can do it with family if you want to or you can do it alone But just take a moment to remember what Jesus has done And then also while we're together we remember the fact that he's coming back And all of this stuff that plagues us, all of this stuff that haunts us We call it sin but it's also brokenness He's going to wipe it all away And so we want to remember but we want to celebrate in advance as well And we want to do it together So I'm going to pray and as we sing you can take communion And then we're going to chat for just a minute at the end And uh, then we'll tear down and go home So thank you guys for being here God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Um, God, thank you for a reminder that it, it is about what you do and, and not so much about what we do. Uh, you ask us to live in response, but you don't ask us to live in a place of earning. And God, for that, we're grateful. Thank you that you've earned it. You've paid for it. Uh, you've done it. And then you just get to live us. Uh, let us live in a place of worship, admiration, and faith-led obedience. God, as we take communion, I pray that we remember what you've done. I pray we remember who you are. And God, I pray we remember who you're calling us to be. Um, And at the same time, God, we remember the life that you've called us to live. Um, I pray that we do that well. I pray that we celebrate the fact that one day you are coming back to make all things perfect, whole, and fully yours. And, God, we can celebrate that in advance and trust you for that promise. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his obedience uh, that we can emulate um, but we can never live entirely up to, and you don't ask us to. Thank you that he did it, and we don't. Um, God, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Just uh, just stand up. You can walk back and grab bread, grab your juice, and do it as you see fit. Thank you. Follow, like, religious news, stuff like that. But this week in, like, the Baptist world, and if, if you didn't know, we do partner with the Southern Baptist Convention. We say Great Commission Baptists for some reasons that if you would like to discuss, I'll be glad to share those with you. And this is part of it. Um, and we've partnered with the Southern Baptist Convention since our inception for a couple reasons. Number one, they do missions incredibly well. They send out missionaries all around the world, North America and the rest of the world. They fund them fully so they don't have to go into that country and get a job. And countless, countless thousands of people have come to Christ as a result of missionaries sent out by the Southern Baptist Convention. But during this week, uh, there was a a, um, man, an investigation published last Sunday, going back 20 years Uh, based on sexual allegations, abuse allegations, uh, covering up a lot of these things for the past 20 years. And people in very high places have been complicit and have been intentionally hiding facts. And so we want you to know as leadership, number one, it's not okay. Number two, we're mad, upset, and hurt. And we will not be complicit. But what we mean in that is that uh, we're not going to run because victims need representation, they need to be heard, they do not need to have their backs, backs turned on them again, and we will not do that. And so this is what we're doing as a response. Number one, the organization of the Southern Baptist Convention will not get a dime from us until we look at what they've done and we look at the actions they're taking and we are satisfied that they are going in the right direction and they're attempting to make sure this does not happen again. But in doing that, one thing that we don't want to occur is we do not want missionaries to go unfunded. And we don't want the organizations that are also funded as a result to go unfunded. And so we are making ways to fund mission efforts uh, directly. And so, the International Mission Board, we will give them to, to them directly. The North American Mission Board, we will give the, them to them directly. The leadership of those organizations have come out very good in all of these studies. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of the people who are guilty are actually volunteers in the Southern Baptist world. They're a part of what's called the Executive Committee. Uh, but here's the thing what they have done is not okay. It is not okay. There's no way to rationalize it. There's no way to perform any kind of mental exercise to say that this was acceptable. It is not. And so we basically have two options. We could turn our back on everything and walk away. But if we did that, it would almost be us ignoring a problem. We're not going to do that. We are going to hold them accountable. And we want to make sure that as a, a church that actually governs them and not them governing us, because that's the way that it works, we want to make sure that they understand that we collectively say this is not okay. You should be held accountable for your crimes and, and for your sins. And so we're not going to sweep it under the rug like they have for at least the past 20 years. Uh, but you are going to make sure that the people that, have, that are not guilty are going continue to continue to receive funding. We commit to fund them because we have partnerships in the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board with missionaries that we trust, and we want them to be able to continue to function and do the things that we do, that they do, uh, in countries that we can't get into. And we also want to make sure that uh, the South Carolina part of this that's not governed by the Southern Baptist Convention, the South Carolina Baptist Convention, they still do what they do. Uh, I know a lot of the leadership there. uh, We see the things that they have put in place, and we want to tell them, look, we we do. We want to trust you, and we want you to continue to do what you're going to do. And so we're going to make sure that they still receive the funding that we send them to. Um, But understand, like if you hear any of this, understand we're not okay with it. We're not okay, and we're not going to turn a blind eye to it. Um, And we're going to do everything in our power as Origins Greenville to make sure that they are held accountable. And if people need to go to jail, we want them to go to jail. If people need to to be completely fired and never be allowed to return, we want them to be completely fired and never allowed to be returned. Uh, We want those things because there are people that need justice. God declares that people need justice, and sin is not okay, period. And so we want you to understand that as a leadership, we're aware We're doing everything that we feel that we need to do. If you want to have a conversation about it, if you want to talk through what that means, we're more than happy to. already had some this week. Thank you for those who have reached out and want to know more. We applaud that, and we appreciate it. But we just want you to know as a leadership, man, it is not okay with us, Uh, not at all. And so uh, we're doing everything we feel like God wants us to do to make sure that things are going to be as put right as possible uh, in this situation. It breaks my heart that it occurred. Uh, It breaks my heart that these sins were swept under the rug. It breaks my heart that they were committed. But in this moment, this is the best thing that can happen, that light is shown on darkness, and the people that need to uh, have justice will get justice, and the people that need to confess and repent will be led to that by uh, discipline. And so we did want to let people know about that. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. We'll be glad to have coffee, lunch, or consume nothing and just talk. That's okay, too. So, uh, yeah, we love you guys. We're glad that you're here. We hope to see you next Sunday in McPherson Park. Bring sunscreen, bring whatever you need to do, and uh, be prepared to get a little egg on you and uh, bring a picnic for you and your family. We love you guys. Have a great Sunday.